That's it. Always keep your drink handy. It's a, it's a motto I try to live by. Bless the Lord. Well, my name's Chris. I'm a member of this congregation. And uh, some of you will know I'm a passionate sort of bloke. Um, if I find the right page on my notes, I'll be even more passionate. I expect that all of you have seen one of these before. I've got a nerve, haven't I, after a two-all home draw with Burnley. <laughs> I'm not going to put it on. It does still fit, honestly. But this is what you get when you sign on as an apprentice with a football club. When you start out, you've probably got a bit about you, a lot of skill maybe, but it's the apprenticeship itself that's going to make you a footballer. The football club are probably paying you a good wedge of money for learning, and they're looking all the time to see the fruit from the input you're receiving. I'm sure there has to be some strict discipline along the way in order to knock off some of the rough corners and I think by the time they get to be pro footballers, some of them don't have their rough corners knocked off, do they? I'm sure we're aware of that when they appear on the front pages rather than the back ones. But, uh, uh, and of course, uh, some can't take that and they can't take the discipline and they drop out. Now, if you want to be a professional footballer, you have to stick with it. You have to remain attached to the club. You have to stay as an apprentice all the way through. You can't be a footballer on your own, can you? It's, apart from anything else, it's a team game. Well, that's enough about football. Uh, one of my great passions, as you'll know. The other one is sitting over there in the front row. Bless her. <laughs> but uh, in this sermon series, we've been looking at being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, as being in some way like an apprenticeship. We learn from the master himself, we need to keep going with him in order to complete our, our apprenticeship and we experience joy, the joy of receiving our master's praise and encouragement and his love along the way. But we're going to leave aside apprenticeship for now and we'll come back to it at the end. So you'll have to stay awake to, uh, so you can prick up your ears when apprenticeship comes back. But in this series we've looked mainly uh, in John's Gospel and today we're in John chapter 15, just as Georgia read out. Just after the Last Supper and just before Jesus' arrest. Now, if you go through John's Gospel, you'll find Jesus coming out with bombshell statements all the time. Bombshell statements. And a lot of the key ones begin with the words, I am. And we can learn a lot. In fact, you can take this as your homework, if you like. We can learn a lot just by searching through John's Gospel and picking out all the I am statements and maybe joining them together and getting a complete picture of who Jesus is. But the first thing that Jesus says to us in this passage is a, a real jaw-dropper. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus is the true vine. Well, picture this. Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples, Judas having left, have finished their supper and they're on their way across some open ground towards the Garden of Gethsemane, where Judas would appear with a mob of armed men to arrest Jesus. It was springtime, the vine pruning season. 
There were probably piles of dead branches and branches that hadn't produced any grapes chopped off and stacked up for burning. Now, when we hear the word vine, I don't know about you, but this is me, maybe, we probably think of our last Mediterranean holiday or perhaps the bottle of plonk that we bought yesterday in Sainsbury's for our Sunday lunch. But to Jesus' disciples, the vine meant something more. It meant Israel, the people of God. In Psalm 80, we read, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with, shade, with its shade. The mighty Caesars, cedars with its branches. I sent out its branches to the shore and its shoots to the river. And to this day, the political nation, which calls itself or is called Israel, uses the vine as a national symbol, and I believe you can find it on its money. So the identification of Israel, the people of God, with the vine was total and solid. Now, looking around, we've got a variety of people here, and I know that some of you like things to be very clear-cut, if you like, day and night, good and bad, light and dark, whereas others of you, uh, I'm sure, equally like to see shades of grey in everything. Now, as far as when I read John's Gospel, I see everything in black and white. He's very, very clear-cut. But just before we come back to John, listen to how Isaiah the prophet describes the nation of Israel. He says this, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Old Testament Israel, as the vine of God, produced nothing of lasting worth, no fruit, as Jesus speaks in verse 2 of our passage. In fact, I just... I haven't got that one to hand, but uh, yeah. So Jesus is the true vine. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel. Everything national Israel could never be, I am. And throughout John's Gospel, if you read from the beginning up to this point, you'll find that it's full of the rejection of the old and the establishing of the new by Jesus. And nowhere is this clearer than in chapter 8, where there's a standoff between Jesus and a lot of the people who had followed him. And this crowd, well, it was, there was an interchange going on. And if you read chapter 8, I advise you to go back and read it. It's, it's strong stuff. Um, chapter 8 of John's Gospel. And this crowd claimed to be children of God and descendants of Abraham because of their physical ancestry. And of course they were physically descended from Abraham, the, uh, the Jewish race were. But Jesus said, says that they demonstrated by their actions and especially by their rejection of Jesus himself that they were actually children of the devil, not of God. And in our passage, Jesus tells us that the way to be part of the true people of God is not through human ancestry or religious observance, but as he puts in verse 3, through his word. 
That is to say, Jesus' message. I think this is a shocking word. I'm sure most of what Jesus is quoted by John throughout his gospel saying would be shocking to a lot of very orthodox Jewish people. But Jesus says this, you are already clean, meaning acceptable to God, because of the word I have spoken to you. Well, what is this word? What is this word that Jesus speaks to them? What is this word that Jesus speaks to us? Well, it's the message of the cross, isn't it? It's the message of the cross, of Christ crucified for us. As John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God, when he sees Jesus approaching, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb meaning the sacrificial animal, the one who dies in the place of the sinner. So Jesus, the sacrificial lamb who dies in the place of sinners, sinners like you and sinners like me. So we become God's people as we receive the word which Jesus speaks to us when we trust in his message of salvation, when we trust in the fact that Jesus died for us and uh, to give us life. He died the death which we deserved and he gives us his life. And there's a big lesson there and a challenge to each of us. Membership of God's people is not a matter of ancestry or family. It's not a matter of religious practice. It's not even a matter of coming here on a Sunday morning and singing him a song. It's not a matter of denominational membership. It's about being joined to Jesus Christ as the branches are joined to the vine. It's about receiving his message and basing your life around that. So Jesus is the true vine. He is the true Israel. Joined onto him is the true people of God. But Jesus is also the fruitful vine, whereas God came looking at the Old Testament people of God and found violence, bloodshed, meanness, cruelty, injustice. God looks at Jesus and sees everything that they should have been. Now just imagine that you're a farmer. Now maybe some of you are farmers. Any farmers here? Excellent. <laughs> Good. What do you farm? <laughs> what, what? Fruit. Now what do you, what do you farm? <laughs> oh well, excellent. Tomatoes. Excellent, good. So um, you plant a crop in a field or in your garden, like Stuart. Let's say you live in a warm country and you plant grapes so that you can make some fantastic wine. When you go back to look in the vineyard, there's not much to be had. So you, you cut it back, you dress it, and you encourage it with the right kind of manure or whatever. Well, I don't, I don't know what you put on... Uh, on vines, but uh, any dead branches or ones that are producing nothing are best chopped off and burnt. And branches that somehow get detached will, of course, in any case, just wither and die. They can't possibly produce anything. Anyway, reading on in our passage, I mean, if any of you have got Bibles, you can follow this in John 15, but uh, I shall read this out because I know most of us don't have due to the uh, restrictions. Remain in me, Jesus says, verse 4, and I, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You're like a, uh, uh, sorry, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and you, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says that God the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser, the farmer. And the only way to produce what he's looking for is to remain in the vine. So the only way to live a life that's going to be eternally productive, if you like, that's actually going to mean something in the long term, is to be, and is pleasing to God, is to be joined to Jesus, to belong to Jesus. And that's what Jesus reminds us of throughout this Gospel of John. In chapter 14, the previous one, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to know God and to be his child. But there's, uh, it's, not just, it's not actually laying a heavy burden on us here. You, we have to understand that. It sounds very big, doesn't it, this whole thing. But there's a wonderful promise right in the middle of what I've just read out. Um, and it's this. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But how exactly do we remain in Jesus? What does that mean? And we've heard that to become joined to Jesus, we receive his word and trust in him and what he's done for us from that point on in our lives. Well, what then does it mean to remain in Jesus or to abide, the old-fashioned word that we use sometimes, but it means to remain in him, not to go away, not to be broken off like one of those dead branches. And back in chapter 6, of John's Gospel. That's why I say John's Gospel is a lively read. But Jesus had begun to introduce some very direct teaching about himself and he describes himself as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he goes on to compare himself, the, effectively the bread that he gives, the life that he gives, as being superior to the bread that the Israelites ate uh, in the desert when they ate the manna that came down from heaven. Of course, he, he points out they ate it and they died. And at this point, many people stopped following him because they would not accept his teaching. It was unacceptable to them. And that's a lesson to us, isn't it? We've got to be careful not to say, oh, well, I'll accept this bit of what Jesus says or I don't like what Paul writes or maybe uh, some bits I can gloss over no Jesus says you know <laughs> here I am and this is you know my words rest in your heart but after this we read in verse 66 many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him so Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There was nowhere else to go. Peter recognized that. If you want to live a life pleasing to God that will have eternal significance and will go on and on, even after death, only Jesus 
has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Another great promise. The Christian person has Jesus Christ and his words, that is to say, his message in their heart. And with that comes this wonderful promise of answered prayer. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, those of you who pray regularly or have prayed over long periods will know that this is not an invitation to pray successfully for a Rolls Royce or a country mansion or even for your football team to win on a Saturday. He's talking about a heart so in tune with his that we ask for things which are in line with his will. In the previous chapter, as uh, Georgia referred to a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be coming to live with and in them and us. So in that sense, Jesus comes to the heart of every believer and makes his home with us so that we are in Christ and he is in us. And we looked at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, chapter 14, verses 25 and 26 say this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this, we hear a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's primary job, if you like, if we can put it in those terms, is to bring to mind and to make clear the words of Jesus to enable us to remain in him and his words to remain in us. And um, so the, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and what he's done in his death on the cross, what he's done in the uh, forgiveness of sins, gaining the forgiveness of sins for his people and securing everlasting life with the Father. So Jesus is not only the true vine and the fruitful vine, he's the joyful vine. And I hope by this stage, assuming you're still awake, hands up if you're not, (laughs) that you might be asking yourself, What is this fruit? This is the kind of question I ask when I hear people waffling on in church. What is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? It's not Stuart's tomatoes, certainly, or even grapes. Not um, literal grapes, anyway. In this passage, I think we can sum it up in three words that are intertwined. And they're not necessarily words that you would intertwine in, in everyday life, but they're love, joy, and obedience. So Jesus continues in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love that Jesus demonstrated was totally self-giving. We would say a self-giving love, but I mean, it's the ultimate love, isn't it? It resulted in him laying down his life for his friends, that is to say, us. When John summarizes his whole encounter with Jesus at the start of his gospel, he uses these words. 
these words constantly stay with me and I think they're very valuable. This is part of the prologue to John's Gospel, the introduction to it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Bearing fruit as a Christian means demonstrating Jesus' character in our own life. Just as Jesus demonstrated his Father, his Father's character and nature in his own life. That means living by Jesus' words. Now, obeying Jesus is not about looking for a complicated set of rules and regulations. This is so important. Of turning the Bible into some sort of petty rule book rather than the word of life, which it actually is. In here, we find Jesus' words. I would say Old and New Testament. We can debate that when we like. But God has spoken through in various ways in the past and latterly through his Son. It says in the introduction to uh, the Hebrews. And we have that word. We have that word of life. So we mustn't make it into a set of uh, rules and regulations to tie people down. That's exactly what the, uh, the Old Testament people did. And uh, particularly, of course, we read in the, um, in the Gospels, the Pharisees did. And they created this set of rules which people could live by. But you can't please God by obeying rules and regulations. You can only please God by being joined to Jesus. You'll only produce fruit by being joined to Jesus. So obedience to Jesus Christ and his message is actually to live a fulfilled life. It's the life full of joy, the joy of the Father and the Son with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, knowing what God has put us here for. Namely, as Jesus says, to love one another. To love one another just as he loved us by laying down his life for us. So we lay down our lives for one another and to seek him daily in his word. Now, in conclusion, I promised at the start we might actually get back to talking about apprenticeship. Well, here we are, just to bring back that illustration. It's a very powerful picture, I think. If you sign up for an apprenticeship, it better be with a bona fide organisation that dishes out genuine qualifications. Jesus is the real deal. He is the true vine. I'm sure you could go on the internet and get a certificate to say you've done an apprenticeship from uh, whatever the, uh, yeah, well, the university or fill in the gap. If you start an apprenticeship, then you need to remain an apprentice, working closely with your tutor or mentor for the duration. And unless you keep going, there's not much point in starting, is there? And unlike a craft apprenticeship, which may only last three or four years, or whatever it might be, being Jesus' apprentice is for life. If you desire to live a godly life, receive Jesus' words. So let's just think of a few of Jesus' words. Um, they, they hold it up at football matches, don't they? <laughs> John 3.16, that comes in this gospel. It's funny, in some ways it sums up, sums up the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in our natural state, we're all perishing. 
We know we're dying physically, but the Bible tells us that we're dead spiritually as well, that we're effectively eternally dead. But Jesus' words bring us life, and his spirit comes to uh, help us live out that life. Ask God now to give you grace, to give us grace, to receive this message, this word of Jesus, so that we might start with him and remain in him and with him, and his words remain in us, and that our lives might produce the kind of fruit that God looks for. Let's pray. Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you that you've given us all we need in Jesus and his words, and you've sent us the Holy Spirit to remind us of those words, that Jesus died for us to give us life. He died for us to give us a future, and he rose again to demonstrate that death is beaten and that we need no longer fear it, and that we have a future with you, whatever the world may give to us. Father, give us the joy of knowing that. Help us to live in Jesus and to remain in him always. For Jesus' sake. Amen.